Scripture reading continues on from Deuteronomy 28 to Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, beside the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. And Moses called unto all Israel and said unto them, Ye have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, unto Pharaoh, and unto all his servants, and unto all his land. The great temptations which thine eyes have seen, the signs and those great miracles. Yet the Lord hath not given you an heart to perceive, and eyes to see, and ears to hear unto this day. And I have led you forty years in the wilderness. Your clothes are not waxen old upon you, and thy shoe is not waxen old upon thy foot. Ye have not eaten bread, neither have ye drunk wine or strong drink, that ye might know that I am the Lord your God. And when ye came unto this place, Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us unto battle, and we smote them. And we took their land, and gave it for an inheritance unto the Reubenites, and to the Gadites, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh. Keep therefore the words of this covenant, and do them, that ye may prosper in all that ye do. Ye stand this day, all of you, before the Lord your God, your captains of your tribes, your elders, and your officers, with all the men of Israel, your little ones, <coughs> your wives, and the stranger that is in thy camp, from the hewer of thy wood to the drawer of thy water, that thou shouldest enter into covenant with the Lord thy God, and into his oath, which the Lord thy God maketh with thee this day, that he may establish thee today for a people unto himself, and that he may be unto thee a God, as he hath said unto thee, and as he hath sworn unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Neither with you only do I make this covenant and this oath, but with him that standeth here with us this day before the Lord our God, and also with him that is not here with us this day. For ye know how we have dwelt in the land of Egypt, and how we came through the nations which passed by, and ye have seen their abominations and their idols, wood and stone, silver and gold, which were among them. Lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe, whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. Lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. And it come to pass, when he heareth the words of this curse, that he bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of mine heart, to add drunkenness to thirst. The Lord will not spare him, but then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man, and all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him, and the Lord shall blot out his name from under heaven. And the Lord shall separate him unto evil of all the tribes of Israel, out of all the tribes of Israel, according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in this book of the law. 
so that the generation to come of your children that shall rise up after you and the stranger that shall come from a far land shall say when they see the plagues of that land and the sicknesses which the Lord hath laid upon it and that the whole land thereof is brimstone and salt and burning and that it is not sown nor beareth nor any grass groweth therein like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim which the Lord overthrew in his anger and in his wrath, even all nations shall say, Wherefore hath the Lord done thus unto, his, unto this land? What meaneth the heat of this great anger? Then men shall say, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them forth out of the land of Egypt. For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they knew not and whom he had not given unto them. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land to bring upon it all the curses that are written in this book. And the Lord rooted them out of their land in anger and in wrath and in great indignation and cast them into another land as it is this day. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. So we want to stay in context as we read this chapter. We are on the plains of Moab. Moses is wrapping up his speeches to them before he will go up to Mount Pisgah and expire. And the people of God being led by Joshua will go down into the Jordan Valley and cross over the Jordan River and insert themselves into the promised land. So, uh, we are still in this mode of covenant renewal. Uh, the blessings and the cursings. Some have said because there are blessings and cursings that this is a covenant of works and not of grace as we heard earlier today. And I tell you that would be a grave error to make. And let me perhaps give you an illustration of that, okay? What are the words of the covenant that are spoken here? There are covenant words spoken. And let me also remind you that it is not a different covenant than what was done at the base of Sinai in Exodus chapter 24. Now you know how we know that, right? We know that because it is simply a reiteration of an expansion upon over the 40 years as God expanded his word over that time. It is an expansion of that covenantal arrangement that the people of God swore to on that day in Exodus 24. And then there were sacrifices offered, there was blood spilled, and there was a covenant meal. None of that is repeated here. Did you hear? None of that is repeated. God is not making some different covenant this covenant that is spoken of here in Deuteronomy 29 is the same covenant that God made with them. Now expanded a little bit in some of the wording. We have the blessings and the cursings of chapter 28 that we read earlier today. And these curses are called the curses of the covenant. And they will come upon any of those that stand there with them that day and swear to uphold that covenant and then turn away from it. And I'm here to tell you, beloved, that is exactly no different than today. 
When we take our church membership vows, we formally enter into covenant with the Lord our God. We call him our sovereign Lord and we swear to do all that he has commanded. And if we turn away from that covenant, it is the same thing as the visible church did in Deuteronomy chapter 29 and beyond when they turned away from the Lord and endured the covenant curses instead. This doctrine of the visible church, as we heard a couple of weeks ago when we were speaking on baptism, this doctrine of the visible church has not changed since the days of Moses in its essence. It has changed in some, some other things. It has changed in perhaps the efficacy under Christ and so on, as we've said for years now. But the essence of it doesn't change. Each of us and children, this includes you, when your parents bring you to the baptismal font, you enter into covenant with the Lord your God at that point. Your parents bring you into covenant with God, being your, your keepers, your guardians, and your caregivers at that point in your lives. And so you begin to take your place among the people of God at that time, and you are hearing all the words of God, and you are affirming them throughout all of your lives as you grow up. And if you rise up to your adulthood, and then you turn away. You will incur the curses of the covenant. Just like Moses said here in Deuteronomy 29. It doesn't change. The same thing is true in the New Testament as in the Old. Because we have a doctrine of the visible church that is consistent from Old to New Testament. Although there are some changes. We don't want to do what some Presbyterians do and flatten it out and say, Nope, there's no difference. Nope, not at all. No, we're not going to say that. Right? But we are, we are going to make the differences but those differences are not essential to the covenant itself. It is the same covenant. It was the same covenant here in Deuteronomy 29 because there is no new ceremony. There is only a hearing, a reiterating of the commitments that were already made. And remember, remember these folks that are standing here today were children 40 years ago when that was originally made. And so all the Lord is doing here through Moses is refreshing them in that covenant that they had already entered into as children in the days of Sinai. So if we lose the context, we're not going to hear what Moses is saying here. The context is in the context of covenant renewal with the people of God that are about to enter into the land. All right, so several things are said here. Uh, first of all, that covenant uh, has had, it, it has been 40 years on now, right? It's 40 years on. And so some of the things uh, have, have changed in that there are new terms. They're really not new terms, but they're an expansion on the old terms. So now we have the blessings and the cursings. And remember that when they enter into the land of promise, we're going to do this all over again. From Ebal and Gerizim, it's the same thing being reiterated on one side of the Jordan and then on the other side of the Jordan. And this is to confirm unto them. This is, God, this is God saying what he said through the Apostle Paul. For me to say the same things, for me is not grievous, for you it is safe. So they enter into covenant in Exodus 24. That covenant is reiterated with some words expanded in Deuteronomy 29 or 28 and 29. And then when they get across under Joshua and at Ebal and Gerizim, they have the blessings and the cursings. It's reiterated yet again. And why is it reiterated? Notice verse 4. 
Yet the Lord hath not given you an heart to perceive, and eyes to see, and ears to hear unto this day. Why do we need repetition? Because we all peak and valley at different times in our ability to hear, in our ability to understand, in our ability, in our, in our ability to embrace the covenant word of God. And so since we're all doing this at different times, right, if we, if we could all peak at one time, you know, the, the, the Lord would know that. He'd bring us all up at once and he'd say at one time and we'd have it forever. But we know that he's not chosen to work in that way. He's chosen to work through ordinary, not extraordinary means. So to call the people of God together at set times in their history for these momentous events like covenant making and covenant renewal and then to call them together week by week to remind them of the covenant in everything. Over and again, line upon line, precept upon precept. So Moses reminds them of several things, God's great care of them uh, in this first section, verses 1 through 9, uh, and, and how the Lord carried them for these 40 years. He's brought them to this place where they might be renewed in covenant. They haven't eaten bread or, or, or drunk wine or strong drink. That you might know that I am the Lord your God. The Lord's fed them with manna, right? What else did he do? He conquered great kings for them on the east side of the Jordan. Og, the king of, uh, of Bashan, and Sihon, the king of Heshbon. And that land has already been given to the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And so the Lord has been faithful to his word. The Lord has entered into covenant with you, and he has been faithful in his word. So verse 9, Keep therefore the words of this covenant, that ye may do them, and that ye may prosper in all that you do. Now in verse 10, we want to see the, the breadth of the covenant that is made. Who's standing there that day to, to enter into covenant with the Lord? Well, what does it say? You stand this day, all of you, before the Lord your God, your captains of your tribes, your elders and your officers, with all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the stranger that is in thy camp, from the hewer of thy wood to the drawer of thy water, that thou shouldest enter into covenant with the Lord thy God and into his oath which the Lord thy God maketh with thee this day. Except those who are in children's church. <laughs> no. No such thing. Everyone stood there. Everyone entered into covenant. Everyone heard the words. Oh, those little ones, they may not have understood everything that was going on, but they understood where they belonged, didn't they? They understood with whom they belonged and before whom they belonged. Right? Okay. And so, that he may establish thee this day for a people unto himself and that he may be unto thee a God as he hath said unto thee and as he sworn unto thy fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. You see that? Nothing has changed since the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We move through Sinai not, not Sinai takes a detour or the covenant takes a detour around Sinai. It moves through Sinai. Now verse 14, controversial in our day, but not controversial in an older day of the church. Neither with you only do I make this covenant and this oath, but with, but with him that standeth here with us this day before the Lord our God and also with him that is not here with us this day. There are people not standing there that will also be drawn into that covenant. Who are they? 
Well, they're, first of all, the descendants of that people there. And they are those who will come to them out of the nations. This is why he brings up these other nations. It's a very interesting thing to think about. That when they come in and they join themselves to Israel, what do they do? They enter into covenant with the Lord God of Israel, just like an Israelite that stood here in Deuteronomy chapter 29. There's no difference between them. They will enter into covenant with God in the same way. Now verse 18. We want to guard against apostasy. That we should uh, turn away from the Lord our God and go and serve other gods among these nations. Lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. It is a hard thing. I have a very close friend uh, in the, well, not, not any longer, but when I was in the electoral industry, a Christian man um, uh, raised in the United Methodist Church. His daughter, 13 or 14 years old at that time, <coughs> comes home from public school one day and is talking to her dad about one of the friends that she's made in school, a young lady who is also a Muslim. And his dad explains to her that her friend at school, the Muslim, is not a Christian. And unless she repents and turns to Christ, she is on her way to eternal judgment. And her daughter simply can't believe it. His daughter, sorry, simply can't believe it. No, God would never do that. He'd never send my nice friend to eternal judgment. Right? What does Moses say here in verse 18? Lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. Lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. Every false religion, beloved, bears gall and wormwood no matter how nice and sweet their adherents are. We must remember that. We must not turn aside to the left nor to the right. <clears throat> and notice what that does. It leads to presumption. Verse 19. And it shall come to pass when he heareth the words of this curse. That he bless himself in his heart saying I shall have peace. Though I walk in the imagination of mine heart. To add drunkenness to thirst. The Lord will not spare him. The anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man. And so on. And so what Moses is telling the people of God here is that they are a special people unto the Lord their God. They are favored among all the other or above all the other peoples of the world. And being thus favored, they ought not to turn back to the nations of the world to learn their ways. And if they do, they are turning to gall and wormwood. Wormwood is a kind of plant that when mixed with, a, with, 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 with water is a, is a bitter poison. And so that they turn to poison instead of those rivers of life that flow forth from the church, from Zion. And so the Lord shall separate that evil man out of the tribes of Israel according to the curses of the covenant that are written in the book of this law. What we read in the last chapter. Remember those 54 verses of curses. That's what's being said here. All right, and so then finally, <clears throat> Moses ends with the apologetic. What is the apologetic? 
What will the nations say when they see God burning up his own land? What are the nations going to think? Remember, uh, twice now we have seen, but we'll see it especially in Joshua. After, uh, after the people fall at Ai, Joshua will fall down before the angel of the Lord and say, What are you going to do about your great name? The heathen are going to hear. Right? What does Moses say here? The heathen are going to say, Why did God burn up his land like that? Why did Jehovah burn up his land like that? Because his people turned away from him, that's why. Because his people turned away from him, that's what it says. Notice, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them forth out of the land of Egypt. For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they knew not and whom he had not given unto them. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land to bring upon it all the curses that are written in this book. And the Lord rooted them out of their land in great anger and in wrath and in great indignation and cast them into another land as it is this day. Now Moses puts the epilogue on this chapter and it is a most fitting epilogue. We may not understand exactly why he does it, but let me try to explain. The people here might be tempted like, like some carnal folk have been over the centuries to say, okay, well let me see the end first. Let me see what's going to happen. Will we be rooted out of the land? Or will we remain there and flourish? Will we establish the kingdom of God in Canaan land? Or will we turn away from the Lord and end up salt pits and burning? Which one's it going to be, Lord? Can you understand how some people would be tempted to want to see the end from the beginning? Like God? Like the man a few verses earlier that said... <clears throat> I'm going to add drunkenness to my thirst. See, I'm going to be destroyed in the end anyway. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Moses says, sorry, you don't get to know how it ends. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But that which is revealed belongs to us and to our children to keep us warm in obedience so that we may do all the words of this law the Lord doesn't reveal the end because if he revealed the end for those who are wicked their wickedness would abound no he lays out his commandments requires all to give themselves to them and doesn't reveal the end of all things so that we may know his commandments and keep them rather than the end of things for presumptuous sake. So it's a very fitting end to the chapter. Um, and I promised you just a little bit from the last sermon on that. When we pray, thy will be done. We're not praying that all that God has decreed will come to pass. We're not praying for that. That will come to pass, beloved. There's nothing that can stand in its way. That's that train that will, that will roll forward no matter what. Inexorably, infallibly, perfectly to the end of the track. What we're praying for is exactly what Moses tells us to pray for here. 
or strength to obey what God has commanded. And so we make a distinction between God's decreed will and God's revealed will. And what God has revealed is always our duty. We are never to try to peel behind the veil. Well, I know what God said when he said that, but I really know what he meant. He's working for this end, and so I'm going to be with God and work for this end, which may mean that I have to break a few eggs to make an omelet. And that's often how we hear it. The Lord says, no, you leave the end to me. Don't pray that my will will be done. It will be. You pray that your will will be commensurate with what I have commanded so that you will do what I have commanded you. And your obedience would be, uh, read the larger catechism on what do we pray for, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The divines there list about seven or eight things that the angels do in heaven with their obedience. They are constant, they are diligent, they are, they are uh, swift, they are cheerful, they are uh, several different things. That's the kind of obedience, that's what we pray for when we pray, thy will be done. All right? All right, well, let's stand again.